hipsters love a revival. They'll bring anything back. Ska, post-punk, power pop, garage rock, house techno, new wave, new age, you name it. But there's one genre that they won't touch. Goth. The main reason for this is that goth has been ridiculed for about two generations now. By the mid-1980s, the first wave of goth has started to already spider out into different genres. On one hand, you have music that starts to become very, very ethereal and bleeding. And this is kind of personified in, let's say, the Mission UK and Sisters of Mercy. Musically, both of these bands were pretty basic stuff, and they weren't very dark or threatening. In the middle, you have uh, industrial music. Industrial music absorbed all of the tension and aggression of first wave goth. So, you know, you lose that, and, and that to me is what's really the problem. You separate out the drive and the tempo that drove first wave goth. And all of those musical qualities get fed into industrial music. Instead of trying to couch or soft sell the fact that you're relying on a drum machine, which is something that I would say that early Cocteau Twins is about, is how well Robin Guthrie was able to mask and sweeten those drum machine sounds and get them to really flow within the song. Because the big problem with drum machines was they were so unnatural sounding and so shitty that it was very difficult to make good music with them. Industrial music kind of puts itself in a box by the sonic limitations and then the kind of Teutonic, you know, militaristic feel that's necessarily born of these driving, you know, synthetic tempos. This eventually goes into stuff like Leibach and in the mid and late 80s Nitzereb. One of the things that you can sort of say that goth helped bring about was crust punk. Um, because a lot of the early goth stuff was really harsh. It was getting pretty close to hardcore punk, um, as it came to be known in the very early 80s. Uh, Amoebics is the band of record here. And if you look at them, you look at the imagery they had going on. They're all playing with black and white imagery, torn up photographs, and if you go back, look at Killing Joke's first album, 
you know, this is the template for almost everything that comes after it. The Throbbing Gristle were playing with this imagery probably before anybody. A lot of the imagery that Joy Division was playing with was inspired by Throbbing Gristle because they were, you know, going to each other's shows. They knew each other socially. Musically, Joy Division was pretty basic. But, you know, inspirationally, in terms of the things that they took from, they were trying to play with some extremely dark things. But they weren't particularly talented as musicians. And this is something else that applies to Susie and the Banshees. Susie and the Banshees were not trained musicians. They were lucky that Susie Sue ended up being a really fucking good singer. Because otherwise, they were up shit creek to come up with anything. <laughs> They didn't even learn how to write songs till about their third album. The first wave of goth, to me, is about the failure of punk rock. It's about, you know, the amphetamine rush of punk wearing off. And then you get the crash. And you get a dejection over the fact that this thing that united a lot of people and made a lot of people excited failed to really develop into anything tangible or life-affirming. In fact, it was mostly life-destroying. And so the music starts to take a much darker turn. Because most of the people that have jumped on the punk bandwagon think that punk is about energy and going crazy and moshing and taking speed in the bathroom. Punk starts to have a very social joiner kind of bent to it. Joy Division is sort of a signature thing here and it, it has a lot to do with the people that were around to help Joy Division evolve. Particularly Martin Hannett who has the first AMS digital delay circuit of anyone in England. He knows the guys who invent digital delay and he gets that circuit and the circuit is such a brand new thing that he bases the entire sound of Unknown Pleasures around this one circuit. He applies it to everything. The drums, the bass, everything has digital delay on it. But because he was Martin Hannett, he did the exact opposite of what anyone would have done when presented with a delay circuit. He turned it all the way down. So the delay was set to the shortest possible time. If you listen to the beginning of Disorder, what you're hearing is this bizarre watery warble that's caused by having this digital delay repeat so quickly after the snare hit. There's a few key things to me in the post-punk landscape that help goth sort of become what it is. The main driver is the success and the rapid evolution of Susie and the Banshees. Susie and the Banshees are as close to punk as the Sex Pistols. They were at all of those signature shows, they were on the bill, even if all they were doing was playing the Lord's Prayer, which is just like E, 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 and like a C, maybe. Um, they were there, and they were performing, and Susie Sue was a fucking huge celebrity. 
Because the Sex Pistols break up and the Clash decide they're the British Bruce Springsteen, Susie and the Banshees are the last ones kind of fighting the punk fight. So whatever all these people believed in that's been shattered and is over, Susie and the Banshees are trying to rebuild it. The bile and the confrontation and the rage, you know, emotionally, that was a component of punk rock, that sort of finds itself in goth. What's bothering me here, and the reason that I wanted to talk about goth, is that my generation keeps telling everyone about post-punk. And the idea that there are kids out there that are going to be more familiar with the pop group than Killing Joke is absolutely fucking crazy to me. That can't happen. We gotta fix that. I love Gang of Four. I love their early records, but um, they were totally full of shit. I mean, if you see those guys live, it is fucking hilarious. Andy Gill is so fucking smug, and John King, they just, they're so full of themselves. And they're singing all these like completely generic, you know, social condemnation hymns that are so basic and so rooted in like having read Marx once. You gotta take that with a major grain of salt. So the, the thing to me is that we're not. People are taking that face on seriously and saying that goth is ridiculous. It's really only about 78 to 83 when it's in its kind of great initial sweep. The beginnings of this, and it's not just in England, um, in America you have the cramps out in LA, and also you have Christian Death, um, and Misfits are in New Jersey. You have some bands, but they're playing with this kind of like B-movie horror idea. Their sense of failure, the thing driving their nihilism, is more to do with the phony materialism and alienation of America, and particularly the West Coast and the big cities, where you have disco going off and everyone is doing coke and quaaludes, and it's just really horrific if you're a thinking, sensitive person. Um, you're looking at this level of social abandon and kind of inhumanity human treatment, you know, in terms of the way women are objectified and everything. This is the heyday of like porn chic and Debbie does Dallas. So from an American standpoint, you have a lot of young people who are feeling like the society is literally at a point of decay. The main wellspring of activity is in England. And it centers around a club called the Bat Cave. The Bat Cave is essentially run by its house band, Specimen. Hello, good evening, glad you could come. Early bands that are around there, you have Southern Death Cult, who ends up becoming the cult and being probably the biggest crossover smash to come out of any of this. <laughs> Um, you have Sex Gang Children, who, oddly enough, tie into Culture Club, because Sex Gang Children was the original name for Bow Wow Wow. Uh, Malcolm McLaren had taken that from the William Burroughs novel and um, wanted to have Bow Wow Wow be called that. Well, that was ridiculous. That didn't happen. So they became Bow Wow Wow. But Boy George thought it was a fucking great name. So the original name of Culture Club 
with sex gang children uh, until he got John Moss to join the band. And John was like, we're not doing that. Let's, come on, that's ridiculous. We want to make a lot of money. We're not going to make a lot of money if we're called sex gang children. True to form, the band that took that mantle didn't make a lot of money. In fact, they only made one album. Um, and Sex Gang Children were really like, I mean, it didn't matter what you did. The name of your band was Sex Gang Children. You put that on a flyer. It's a scene. It's happening. Um, Alien Sex Fiend learned from that, and they also were on this scene. So you have a lot of these bands, and what's keeping these bands active and keeping them inspired and keeping them feeling like this is really, you know, a scene is that Susie and the Banshees and The Cure and Robert Smith are popping into the Batcave all the time. Mark Allman's always there, and he's got a huge hit in the charts with Tainted Love. So, you know, you have a lot of people who are on the pop charts and on top of the pops who are mixing with these kind of, you know, very low-level indie bands that barely even have, you know, cassettes out. Sex Gang Children's first release was a live tape. You know, I can't say that a band like Play Dead is particularly going to age well, but like, you gotta realize, Peter Hook, Joy Division's bassist, he was absolutely backing that band. He said that they were literally like the inheritors of Joy Division's sound, and that he loved them. There's a lot of bands like Play Dead that had really terrible singers who were doing either John Lydon or Ian Curtis impressions, and they were just imitating someone else's style, and they don't probably deserve to be remembered. After Ian Curtis commits suicide and Joy Division is over, the two pillars that are left are Susie and the Banshees and The Cure. I mean, he said in interviews that, you know, people were looking at him as the next Ian Curtis and everybody wanted him to kill himself or thought that he was going to kill himself. You have to put in perspective the amount of pressure and melodramatic romance that was cast on Robert Smith. He's got all these people taking care of things for him. He's got all these music press, you know, lackeys and flax surrounding him, talking about Joy Division, Ian Curtis. His music is so dark. He's starting to get his hair all sticky up and huge and wear like a little bit of eyeliner and pancake makeup. And he starts writing some of the most self-serious, despondent music that's probably ever been put out in a kind of a 4-4 pop presentation. Faith, the Charlotte Sometimes single, and Pornography. Fiction Records, the label that The Cure were essentially twinned with, was a sub-imprint of Polydor, a massive British record label. So they had a lot of resources, and they worked with a very good producer in Mike Hedges. And um, later they, you know, they got tired of how loud he made the kick drum, I think, and they did pornography with Phil Thornalley who was actually an engineer from Duran Duran's Seven and the Ragged Tiger. And uh, Phil ended up joining The Cure after they broke up um, in 1982. And he played on the top. The Cure's worst album. Best album. I said best album. During this period, he really goes very far off the deep end. Because he doesn't have any perspective because he's a kid. When pornography is coming together, Robert Smith is getting closer to 23, and this is a magic number because that's when Ian Curtis killed himself. When you listen to pornography, you know, the opening line famously is, it doesn't matter if we all die. Um, it's an absolutely brutal album of just cacophonous misery.
it went to number eight on the UK album chart. Number eight. The Hanging Garden charted on the UK singles chart. You gotta realize, goth was big business back then. The Raincoat Brigade in England was buying records and they were going up the charts. They, you know, they tried to capitalize on this. Essentially, Polydor tried to make Susie and the Banshees a supergroup and get Robert Smith to join Susie and the Banshees when The Cure broke up in 82 on the pornography tour. And Robert Smith was up for it because, you know, he's in the process of destroying The Cure myth. He's doing the Let's Go to Bed 12-inch, which was a total, you know, disco piss take. So he's like, fuck it. And he just starts doing tons and tons of drugs and getting totally out of it with Steve Severin, the bassist from Susie and the Banshees. They do their own album as The Glove, which I've written about extensively on the one week one band tumbler susie and the banshees go off to i think sweden and record a cover of dear prudence it, tough to get a safer bet in terms of chart potential than a beatles cover but what they did to the song is just unbelievable they really put their own mark on that song and they turned it into such a signature sound of those times of what was going on with this reverb laden goth pop This is the first piece of vinyl I ever bought. Bella Lugosi's Dead, Bauhaus. Summer of 1989, I just turned 14. I bought it at the Bayside Expo Center in Boston, Massachusetts, where they used to hold a huge record fair. The same time I bought that, I also bought a Cure bootleg called Lorelei, which was, I think, of the Werchter Festival in Belgium. Uh, it had a great version of Plain Song on it, and it was a double album set. One record was clear vinyl, the other was green. Uh, I sold that, and the other record I bought was the fucking Jerry's Kids. Jerry's Kids was a Boston hardcore band that, uh, you want to talk about what hardcore means? I listened to The Cure and wore all black, right? But, you know, I didn't fucking put my hair 10 feet in the air and wear makeup. You know, that was the line, right? That really, by the late 80s, is when it's just pure, like, dark wave, you know, Cleopatra records and project. For the generation that's now playing goth music and doesn't even know they're playing goth music, they grew up with goth, meaning Marilyn Manson and, to a lesser extent, Nine Inch Nails. Goth had become such a pantomime media joke in their lives because of Marilyn Manson, because of all the makeup, and even because of the new metal flourishes of Korn and Tool, um, th the whole idea of goth was pasty skinny white teenage boys with black fingernail polish in trench coats. And it was such a stereotype that you didn't want anything to do with it. What's happening now is so fucking mind-boggling to me that I, I can't even get my head around it. Because three of like the big hip, um, punk bands or hardcore bands that everyone's been talking about for the last couple of years. Ceremony, Ice Age, and now there's this band Merchandise. These are fucking goth bands. They are straight up goth bands. They sound like Sex Gang Children. They sound like Killing Joke. They have fucking nothing to do with punk rock 
or hardcore or any of it. They're goth bands. Ice Age are selling their hair at shows. Their hair. I mean, come on, guys. Become what you are. Bradford Cox, Deer Hunter, this is like the archetypal goth in the American consciousness, and even he won't embrace it. Even he wants to pretend his band is like, you know, Pink Noise, Shoegaze. They'll take anything except goth. Let's just get that back in the lexicon, because the original version of goth was about getting through and getting over the failure of punk rock. And we all love punk rock, so we should probably respect and equally admire the goths who were trying to redig the underground and get away from the mainstream. Because by that time, when you have the exploited and oi and all this horse shit going on, punk is a four-letter word. It's the lamest shit going. Punk becomes metal so fast that you can't even tell what the fuck's going on. Or it becomes roughneck hardcore and people are beating the shit out of each other. You know, where do the sensitive kids go? If you're looking for the continuity of what happened after punk rock, and where the whole idea of independence went. That's what goth was. And it's just so, it's so sad to me that these kids who are playing the exact same kind of music, they're calling themselves punk and hardcore because goth is a four letter word to them. <laughs>